to Smidge Wines Podcast. I'm Lee Schneider, Communications Director at Red Cup Agency. And with me today is Matt Wenk, consultant and winemaker at Smidge. Hi, Matt. Hi, Lee. How are you? Very well. Thanks. So today we're going to be talking about winemaking styles. And specifically, we're going to be asking Matt where he stands, fruit forward or bold tannins. First, let's get some definitions going here. Matt, what do we mean by fruit forward? Fruit forward, as the name suggests, the wines are, that are fruit forward are full of fruit. They are juicy and fresh and are typically younger wines because uh, as any wine ages, uh, secondary characters emerge and the, the fruit primary fruit character reduces. And then on the flip side, what are tannins and how does their presence change the flavor of wine? Well, tannins are a phenolic compound which are that are found in skins and seeds of grapes they give the drying sensation in the mouth when you drink a wine full of tannins so your mouth puckers um, maybe if you're in the kitchen or something like that try putting a small amount of dry cocoa on your tongue and this is the feeling and the sensation that you experience with a tannic wine so tannic tannins can change the structure of the wine being that drying sensation um, like acid it sort of gives you freshness if it's a higher acid if it's lower acid it's the wine's a bit more broader so tannins being that sort of structural compound can change it in the wine and can often hide the overall fruit intensity especially on the the finish or the back palate of the wine so after you've swallowed the wine if the wine is quite tannic your mouth will feel dry as opposed to uh, having this nice sort of fresh fruit character in your mouth so there's a balance there. Yeah. You've studied winemaking and practiced winemaking for a good m- number of years now. How have you seen winemaking styles change? Yeah, I've seen wine styles change over the years. Uh, for example, like for, it takes a shake Chardonnay, typically in the sort of 80s uh, and 90s, early 90s here in Australia, for example, and possibly in California, I have seen them there as well. Uh, they were big, bold flavors, a lot of buttery diacetyl malolactic characters um, for those who don't know that malolactic fermentation is a, a process when the malic acid which is quite a uh, an aggressive acid is uh, goes through a, a change via a bacterial process and it converts it into lactic acid which is the acid that's found in milk which is a lot softer and uh, sort of creamier if you want to call it that way often those wines yeah the bold flavors the butteriness the oakiness and then all of a sudden it swung to the more austere, fine oak, minimal malolactic character. Um, but now I think it's swinging back slightly and just finding a good balance now. There's good fruit character, subtle oak influence, uh, balanced acidity, and sometimes sort of a bready yeasty note from the um, yeast that's in the wine um, as it's fermented. So, yeah, the, the styles have changed, definitely. And as they evolve, can we really call one style or another better? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a strange question, but I think you know where I'm going with that. Yeah, I, as you say, it's uh, a tough one, but I think wine overall is subjective. So I wouldn't really say one style is better. Maybe a style is preferred uh, or more drinkable is a more appropriate description. It's very perception-driven. So why do you think wine styles evolve? Does it have anything to do with the way wine is consumed or with or without a meal? And to get a little more specific about this, we might say that the classical Bordeaux wines were constructed to be part of a meal, to hold their own. 
And even classical Shiraz wines or a bigger wine, you know, could hold its own with a meal. But Tais and Napa and elsewhere have evolved into something different, perhaps, from these classical styles toward something lighter, more fruit. Wine is a more social beverage. Do you think I, I'm making any sense there, or do you agree or disagree with yeah, that? Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Wine culture globally has increased dramatically, especially in the last uh, probably 20, 25 years, as people travel the world, they migrate to other countries, cultures change, food and wine increases and probably becomes more important. So with that, people are going to be drinking more at parties. Typically, many years ago, people just drank probably more beer and maybe some sort of level of spirits and wine selection was very minimal. I mean, typically it's had in Australia, the wines are very good, but the range or selection was very small. So as it becomes more prevalent in people's lives, Obviously, more grapes are grown, more people start drinking wine, and they drink it Monday to Friday at home. They might have a, a cheaper wine, or and they'll go to a party and take something special for someone. So, yeah, with food, with friends, with or without food. But I think also styles have changed, I think, because as different varieties are emerging or being uh, taken from country A to country B and then grown and then made into wine. So obviously that's going to produce a different style of wine. We, that uh, evil thing we talk about, whether people agree or don't agree, climate change, obviously. So the weather impacts the growth of all sorts of agricultural products. Grapes are going to be in that category. So that's going to give you a different style of wine. The use of irrigation, historically, in many countries, there was no irrigation available, so this is the availability of water to be added to the vineyard to prolong growth-growing season. So when there was no irrigation, when the fruit was ready to go or the weather was conducive that all the leaves were about to fall off and the grapes weren't going to get any riper, you typically had to pick it. So it may be at a certain sugar level and a certain flavour level. And as the advent of irrigation came in, uh, especially we've seen it dramatically uh, used in Australia, you can then put that water on and, there, as I said before, prolong the, irrig- the uh, growing season so your fruit would hang longer, therefore, and he keep your leaves on the vines longer so you gain more ripeness and so, therefore, you have a different flavour profile and a subsequently different wine. Also, wine writers globally, I won't name anyone, but they can influence styles. If someone makes a particular wine and particular wine writer starts writing positively about a certain group of wines then you may have the follow-on effect some other winery start might producing so therefore you start getting a, a bigger range of a particular variety that looks different whether it be an oakier style or a riper style and wine movements just groups of people like natural winemakers there's a emergence in Australia here and some other countries in the world that are going back to, I suppose, more traditional or very traditional winemaking techniques, but also trying to really show what a vineyard is doing. They pick the wines a bit earlier and just use certain techniques. There's minimal additions, so there's no adulteration of the wine. So that's obviously going to be a stylistic change to not that adding things to wine is, uh, I suppose adulteration is a, is a, a harsh description but sometimes when you do pick fruit you may have to adjust the acid a little bit and it's not saying that the wine has 
grapes have been picked at the wrong time, but I suppose that's probably another topic for another day, really. Or wineries just experimenting with different techniques uh, or varietal blends, and they end up, they push the boundaries and they find something that looks positive and enjoyable and drinkable, so, and again, a stylistic change. So there's many, many ways that uh, has influenced the styles that have changed over the years. Could you elaborate a little bit on yes. when the fruit is longer on the vine, how that really affects the flavor? What does it really do? When a grape is hanging on a vine, obviously there's more photosynthesis and more respiration in the vine, so you're going to accumulate more sugar. Uh, your acid will typically go down, so you have more flavor, less acid, and also tannin. In some varieties are tannic. The longer they hang on, the tannins reduce as well. There's a, most of these things like acid and tannins, are, they start with quite high levels. And then as the, they hang longer and longer, they hang, they uh, diminish. And as the sugar goes up, obviously your resultant alcohol will go up. So as fruit profile as well changes, you may start with a more red fruit spectrum. Uh, and as the rough fruit gets riper, typically, not every variety of red, of red, for example, you will get a more darker fruit profile. And similarly with white wine, if you have Chardonnay, if you pick it earlier, you may have a more citrus pear sort of character. And as you let it ripen, you might have more tropical sort of peachy, figgy sort of characters. So in both reds and whites, as you let fruit hang longer, your flavor profile or your fruit profile changes and also acid structure. And your white wine, like I mentioned Chardonnay before, that often it goes through the malolactic fermentation process, as the majority of reds as well. As you get further on, your acid reduces. Um, and in white wine, you typically, and red wine, you may want to add some acid to it. Uh, some countries, such as France, you're not allowed to do that because they traditionally do pick a little bit earlier because they don't have irrigation. And that's the thing with European vineyards. Often you hear they, I've heard it before, you have the drinking vintages, which are just the nice, easy vintages that aren't anything spectacular, but they're just drinking years. Or else you have the exceptional years when the, the weather's good and everything comes into line, like the, the acid levels are great, the flavours are great, etc., all at the same time. So they're, they're those exceptional vintages. Whereas in Australia and California and many other parts of growing regions of the world, we do have irrigation, so we can hang things out longer and we start getting those bigger, darker fruit flavours in the red wines and more bolder, sort of tropical-style flavours in white wine. Great answer, yeah. Also, just to expand a bit on the trend idea that there are certain wine writers who can drive a trend, all the online activity and the way that we post things and learn about things now has actually made for a more global view of wine than less of a regional view of wine. So if a certain style becomes popular, it might become popular faster. Or maybe journalists and would-be journalists and bloggers and writers can push, say, rosé and get that into the forefront a lot faster than formerly so because things are so much more tied together now. Yeah, I agree. Because of social media, etc., that people can interact globally uh, a lot faster and obviously can exchange ideas in a matter of minutes, really. Wine publications also have forums of sorts, so people can taste wines and they can post a, a tasting note or a comment and obviously start a conversation that way. And those conversations are global. 
Are there particular varietals that lend themselves to the lighter approach? You talked a bit about Chardonnay and the variability even within Chardonnay. And we've seen that in California, certainly, with Chardonnay becoming a bit more fruit forward. Any others or any thoughts about are there varietals that are going to work better with a lighter approach or not? Uh, I think you, you can see just about any varietal come out in any particular style these days. If you go to a bottle shop and peruse just the, the shelves or ask the, the people at the bottle shop, uh, I'm sure just about any variety will come in different shapes or forms. But uh, obviously um, aromatic white wine, to a certain extent, obviously Sauvignon Blancs, Rieslings. Uh, then you have things like Pinot Gris or Pinot Grigio, depending on which country you're from. Pinot Grigio from Italy, which is a, a lighter, more fresh, austere, fruit-driven style, whereas the Pinot Gris style, which comes from France, is a riper, fuller style. Oaking wines, as you say with Chardonnay, you can actually influence the style of wine quite considerably with, with oak or without oak, and obviously you may pick it sooner or later to match the use of oak or not. Uh, we mentioned earlier about rosés. Uh, they may be made from all sorts of red varieties these days. Um, I think they're becoming more prevalent in the world uh, because I think people are, as knowledge increases and the, the cultural changes within their country, though people are drinking more wine with food these days, or without food even. And I think rosé as well is a, a, a more lighter style, fruit forward, easier to drink. And again, that in Australia, they come the traditional sort of style, which is bone dry. And then you do also have the sweet versions, which appeal to other people. I prefer the dry style. Uh, reds have been made into that sort of Beaujolais Nouveau style, which is Beaujolais tradition again. May, but there's not many people in Australia making it, but uh, there's a couple of people down in Mornington Peninsula in Victoria which are creating some very good Gamay style, uh, Beaumont, Beaujolais styles. Uh, but there are people are making that sort of style out of all sorts of uh, red varieties these days. And also regionality can influence a style. So if, if for Shiraz, for example, people are using, say, Brosavelli Shiraz, which is a typically bolder, richer style, whereas it's Eden Valley counterpart, which is literally minutes away to the east, but in higher elevation and sort of different climate, your wines are more perfumed and spicy and definitely softer. So there's two stylistically different wines, but of the same variety, only moments apart. So regionality can definitely play a part as well. So, But with regards to varietals, I think you can make many things into different styles. We're seeing them these days. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so any variety for anything, really. Yeah. Now, turning to the smidge line for a moment, what wines do you think deserve to stay bold? It shouldn't change too much. I'm thinking among the smidge lines, say Houdini, Magic Dirt. These are very flavorful. We'd call them big kind of wines. And they need, and certain elements of those wines need to be out in front, right? Yes. Do you see any changes there? I mean, have you felt the need to change the style of those wines or any smidge wine over the years, or have you not changed them much at all? Let's start with Shiraz. In the Barossa Valley, obviously we have reasonably bold wines. The styles have changed slightly. We are producing probably a little, slightly lower alcohol Shiraz from up there, a bit more approachable. We're moving away from the big, big bold style to a certain extent, but no matter what Barossa is going to be flavoursome and relatively rich, no matter what style you pursue. But saying that, I'm blending a little bit of Eden Valley Shiraz into 
some of the Brosser wines, just to take that edge off and just maybe make it a bit more approachable on a on a, a general basis for more maybe more people as well. Because I have seen people are pursuing lower alcohol or bold, less bold wines, and that's one way of doing it is blending in something a bit more fragrant and spicy and more elegant, as such as an Eden Valley Shiraz into Brosser Shiraz to pursue that. But then... With the Magic Dirt range, but the Magic Dirt range shows the variability between the sub-regions of Shiraz that I take from the Brossa Valley. So some people gravitate to, say, the Mopper, which is a little bit more elevation. It's a cooler site. The wine's a little bit more subtle, whereas the Greenock is a more richer, more powerful version. So that's one part of the range, but I'll leave them as they are because they're the wines that I select a barrel of each vineyard that I select that reflects the site that it comes from. Any other wines? Let's think. Um, or when I wanted to make a different white wine, we were making Sauvignon Blanc for many years, but uh, when I wanted to make a different white wine, I went through to Gruner Verdliner, which is uh, an aromatic varietal from traditionally from Austria, but I take mine from the Adelaide Hills, and I think it was received better than maybe a different white variety. Uh, Pinot Gris or Pinot Grigio is definitely getting a, a good run in South Australia or Australia at the moment because it is. It's flavoursome, but it's lighter, it's easy drinking. Some of the Italian varieties over here are doing well, uh, like Vermentino, Fiano, Greco de Tofu. Again, they're different styles, but Vermentino is very good acid levels. It's, those varieties hold their acid well in warmer climates, so they're actually becoming quite conducive for many of the warmer regions in um, Australia. But other than that, I don't think I've changed my style too much in Smidge. I have made my Shiraz slightly different to where I've worked in the past, but, yeah, I don't know. I haven't actively done it in many ways. I think I'm using things like Eden Valley Shiraz in my Brossa Shiraz just to tone it back a bit. And I think it's a year-by-year basis. You look at the wines when you taste them just before bottling or during your barrel classification. And obviously every year we have different weather conditions. So the wines are slightly different year by year. And I think it's a year by year assessment. Um, And in a a year when we potentially have higher alcohol wines or bigger wines, you watch it and you may pick it a little bit earlier in the vineyard or you get the grower to put a bit more irrigation on to hang it out a little bit longer to get through a certain period because the winery is full. So there's, I think it's just a, a potentially a year-by-year basis and within the vintage it's a day-by-day basis to try and maintain a certain um, baseline, I suppose, if that makes sense. It does. It, it's the very soul of small batch, the idea that variety is part of it day-by-day, year-by-year. Things are going to change and you're adapting and moving with that and hit, I would say, a certain target, yes? Yeah, I think, I think you've got to be careful that you've got to try and maintain a certain level of consistency year in, year out because you have a brand and you have a, a house style as such. Um, so you don't want dramatic change, whereas people would, who like a particular vintage then buy the next vintage, and if it's vastly different, they might turn them off. So you've got to be careful. So I think if you are going to do change, either you do it in a different, a separate label, for example, in your portfolio, you might say, okay, we have our Pedro Branca range, for example, which is a an area within the portfolio that we allowed myself to showcase something that we've pushed the boundaries on or the vintage conditions have given us. So I've given an avenue. So therefore people know that, 
oh, this Mavedra from this year may be different from the next year, and oh, they've used more whole bunches this year than they did last year, or whatever, or this I've got a Grenache from 2014 coming out, so, but we've played around with that, with a few different things. Whereas your core range within a, a winery's portfolio, I think you, if you're going to change it, you've got to do it subtly over several years because you could turn people off pretty quickly if you change the style too dramatically, too quickly. It seems like you really have to think of the long game, as we say. You have to think of the big picture often. Yeah, if you keep on chasing a chasing a fad, you never know. You might just end up going around in circles and end up with the same place where you were five years ago. So I don't know. You've got to be careful. <laughs> right. Stylistic changes have been for probably as people's knowledge around the world changes and improves. People are trying more wines and they're actually given a greater selection these days. So... If they like a style or something, they can, can go to a bottle shop and ask, have you got a, a rosé or a chardonnay or a cabernet or whatever in this style? And hopefully the, the people at the bottle shop uh, have a good grasp on what they've got in their store and uh, can direct people accordingly. And then I think for people drinking more with food and friends these days, so styles have definitely changed to be more approachable overall. Matt, thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for the time. It's great, Lee. Terrific. Catch us next time on the Smidge Wines podcast. We'll be covering some really great topics all about wine with Matt Wayne.